Welcome to the Cutting Yanks Podcast. This is Bobby Shaw alongside my co-host, as always, Miles Gift. And on today's episode, we're excited to host Michael Morello, who's a seasoned chief human resources officer who's been in the business for over 25 years, leading HR teams across many diverse industries. Michael has an incredible background, not only in hospitality, but in retail. And he's passionate about taking HR teams from operationally reactive to strategically proactive. This was a great conversation and we touched on a number of important issues and we're so excited to share this conversation with you. We hope you enjoyed as much as we did. Here it is and we'll see you on the other side. Brief introduction and long story short, I originally grew up in the Northeast from New Jersey. Um, from a large Italian-American family, and I'm the first generation to go to college out of high school. Uh, My grandfather did not graduate high school. My father went right into the military right after high school, Uh, and basically I was the first one to go to college uh, right out of high school, but college was a privilege in my household. It was not something that was a guaranteed right, and I got the speech from my father, you know, at a very early age, if I was going to go to college, I was going to have to do it myself because uh, that's the way he did it after coming out of the military. And I may not like him for it at the time, but one day he'll thank me or I'll thank him, actually, he said, um, for having that experience of having to do it on your own because uh, it would help to build work ethic. And uh, true to his word, he was right. It took me a long time to realize that. But he was right. I ended up working myself through both college and graduate school and going to school at night. So I worked full time during the day for the landscape company, True Green Chemlon. A lot of you may remember them when they were just Chemlon and then they merged with True Green. So I did that for about nine years to put myself through uh, college and the beginning of graduate school at Rutgers University in New Brunswick, New Jersey. I worked about 15 minutes away. So it was convenient for me to go to work, take a shower at work, take the 15 minute drive to school and be there for the five o'clock classes. Um, from there, I decided after I graduated that I really need to, needed to figure out what I was going to do with my life because I knew working for Chemlon was not going to be a, an option that I wanted to do full time for the next 40 to 50 years. So what I ended up doing was going back to graduate school and going to the School of Labor Relations at Rutgers University to get my master's degree in human resources management. They had uh, two different tracks you could take at Rutgers. You can go into human resources management or you can go into labor relations and collective bargaining, which was the union side of things. So I chose the HR management and I was lucky enough to get a break to get my foot in the door at HR at Dean Witter Reynolds. Um, you have to be pretty old to remember that Dean Witter name, but that's how I got my break almost 30 years ago, um, working in HR at Dean Witter. And from there, I basically worked my way through a series of compensation jobs, working myself up to the level of compensation manager. And I got into the retail industry where I spent the next 10 to 15 years of my career in the retail industry, compensation and benefits at places such as Polo Ralph Lauren, Tommy Hilfiger, Dollar Tree, 
and really grew up in the retail world. You're on okay, that's amazing. Thing. That's amazing. I would just like to point out that no one can call the Dollar Tree the Dollar Tree anymore. It should actually be called the Dollar Twenty Five Tree. I just want to be clear that they are now falsely advertising their name. So uh, well, they're act they're actually beyond that because they bought Family Dollar. Ah, so when I okay, yeah. When Very I was good. at Dollar Tree, they were realizing they were running out of runway because they were going overseas on their buying trips every year. And when they started the company, they could buy everything for 15 to 20 cents and make a very hefty profit on the margin selling it for a dollar. Uh, that over eroded over time, naturally. And they actually tried their own concepts to go up against Family Dollar and Dollar General with a brand called Deals, which didn't work. And finally, they threw the towel in. And when they realized they were running out of run runway on the dollar model, they went out and bought Family Dollar. I remember deals. Well, you, you clearly have to have dollar in the name somewhere. You That's know, right. family dollar, dollar general, everything's a dollar. Yes. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, that's a really interesting trajectory. And congrats to you for really getting that done and, and for working your way through school and all, all those things. And, you know, you know, parents have a funny way of saying, someday you'll thank me for this. But, but, you know. Typically, probably more often than not, mom and dad were probably right, um, except for my mom and dad, and they were never and, right. And you, we always end up saying the same thing, right? That's right. That's right. Hundred percent. It was a uh, tough lesson to learn um, at the time, especially when you're 19, 20, 21 years old, and you're seeing all your kids go, all your friends go away to college, yeah. Um, and you're trying to work your way through the world, but. True to his word, it did teach me work ethic, which has carried me well through my career. I, I've never sure. been the smartest person in the world, but there's not a person in the company that's going to outwork me because of the work ethic I learned by having to get up five o'clock in the morning, go to school, go to work for eight to nine hours, and then go to school for another four to five and getting home at 10 o'clock every night and starting it all over again at mm. 5 a.m. the next day so i love um, that didn't realize it at the time but one of the best things that could happen to me was because i learned not to take anything for granted and that you really have to work for everything in life in this in this world nothing's really handed to you unless you're born into wealth yep exactly no that's amazing uh, you know we share that um a little bit kind of the same background i was the first person in my family to graduate from high school um, I was the first person to go to college. Uh, I didn't graduate, uh, newsflash for all the Canadians listeners, uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, what I learned early on is that a degree wasn't going to help me get to where I wanted to get to. And it was, it was all the other things that you just talked about going in in the mornings before school and throwing a truck, you know, and putting away a truck and then going to school and then coming back and working eight hours in the day later. It was, it was all those things. It was what we talk a lot about on the podcast, you know, in terms of being able to recognize talent, how to cultivate talent. And I'm the benefit of, as, as I'm sure you are, and I know Miles is, of having someone in our sphere, in our world that had seen something in us that we did not see in ourselves. And which then creates all these amazing opportunities. Um, so really, congrats it's on funny that. that you say that, Bobby, because my very first job, the one thing they said to me is, 
when they got a hold of my resume is we can tell you have work ethic by having to put yourself through school at night. And that's something we can't teach everyone in this company. Mm. So we'll teach you about HR and compensation. And we know that you got the work ethic part covered. And that's kind of the way how I got my, my start in the HR. Wow. That's awesome. Someone that had that faith in me that basically said, we can't teach work ethic. Either a person has it or they don't, or they don't we know you have it. We'll teach you the rest. And it all goes back to that, you know, hire for attitude and not for skill. And that's exactly what they did. Incredible. Can you tell us about your time? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Miles, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, can you tell us about your time and kind of your journey? Looking through, you have a really fascinating journey. And somehow in the middle of all this, you made it to Focus Brands. And I, you know, during that time that you were there, one of my favorite leaders ever, uh, Kat Cole, um, who I've had a chance to see in person several times and hear her talk, obviously super inspirational leader, very similar story, um, worked her way up, started, you know, she actually worked at Hooters. I don't know if you know that, but she was a server yep, at Hooters and just hearing her story was just really incredible. But tell us about that journey to get to where you got to, to focus brands, because you had a very high level role there. It was a very important role and obviously working in the hospitality space. So I'd love to, you know, would love to unpack that a little bit. Yeah, well, I had the good fortune of working with Kat on a daily basis. So I got to see Kat behind the scenes outside of the speeches and how she worked on a daily mm. basis with her staff and how she developed her staff. Um, you know, Kat was the president of Cinnabon yep. before she came to Focus. And when Focus bought Cinnabon, they actually advanced her into a role of licensing and being the president of licensing. So she was actually serving dual roles of overseeing Cinnabon for a while and also the president of licensing where Focus had these great brands that were well known in the market that weren't generating any revenue outside of the operations. Mm. And Kat was the person who got Focus brands into the licensing of the Cinnabon name, the Auntie Anne's name, the Moe's name, uh, and made the licensing piece of the business the powerhouse that you see today in your supermarkets, your Costco's, your Walmart's, when you go by the frozen food section and you see that Cinnabon label or you see Auntie Anne's pretzels, that was all Kat's doing. Amazing. So how was that experience? You were there a little over three years. And so kind of walk us through that journey. Yeah, my experience of Focus Brands was pretty unique because I was actually recruited to Focus Brands because they were going public. So they were looking for someone who had compensation experience in a public company, which, as you all know, is very different than a private company. And my background in retail was really just a perfect fit for what they were looking for. I also had the opportunity to work with one of the board members of their parent company, Work Capital, on a prior deal that they did with Tommy Hilfiger. So... This person was at Apex Capital who bought Tommy Hilfiger when I was at Tommy Hilfiger. And through networking with him, the power of LinkedIn, he told me about Focus Brands being in Atlanta and they were looking to bring the company public and they were looking for some help in bringing someone into the organization who could build the compensation department from the ground up and get them ready to go public. 
And that's how I ended up going into focus brands. Uh, long story short, they decided not to bring the company public and to keep it private. And that's when I actually had one of my uh, few career pivots, which was since we weren't going to be a public company and the, the job really changed for a compensation professional, I dusted off the books and with a little help from my supervisor, who was one of the best mentors I ever had, got into organizational development. So going back into my toolbox of everything that I learned in graduate school, that's where I got my first real push out of the total rewards world and into the HR generalist world um, at Focus Brands on an executive level, doing organizational design and OD at Focus. So let's expand on that a little bit. Like you, you were in compensation and then into HR, and I'm really, um, really interested in your perspective on how how that world has changed over the even the last. 20 years, uh, probably first with compensation um, and benefits because, you know, health insurance and, and total package is such a such a big deal right now and such a a hot button for people coming into organizations. Like, what's the total package? It's not just about what's my base salary anymore. So um, can you can you kind of talk about that? Absolutely. Um, that's a great question, actually, Miles. From the standpoint, when I first got into the industry, there was very little known about compensation and benefits. It wasn't really transparent. And at that time, companies were pretty much keeping everything under wraps and they weren't transparent with the cost of benefits. They weren't transparent with how compensation was determined for each job, not knowing there's a science behind that art of knowing what the salary should be for the different level jobs out there. The industry really changed for a total rewards job in 2010 when we had the Healthcare Reform Act and everything changed at that point. That's when you started to see the healthcare world become one of more transparency because it was required by the law. And when that transparency started to filter into the benefits world, next came that shift into accountability and sharing accountability for your healthcare actions with the employee and with the employee shopping around for healthcare services through health savings accounts, flexible spending accounts, and not necessarily, you know, going to any doctor they want, being able to pick an in-network doctor for the discount uh, versus going out of network and putting that onus on the employee to be a partner with the company and being able to really steer the cost of benefits to one that was going to be manageable for both the employee and the company. Um, so that's when it really started to change. Then five years later, you started getting into the total reward statements where companies were comfortable putting the price and sharing the price of benefits with the employees and creating those total reward statements which basically said, here is what your cash compensation is. Here is what the value of your benefits is. And by the way, benefits is the other compensation that you really don't know how much it's worth until you have to use it. Uh, once you use benefits, unfortunately, <laughs> you get into the real world of 
how expensive benefits really are. And you don't really have that appreciation of benefits sure. until unfortunately you had something go wrong in your life and you had some sort of catastrophic health issue and you see what the real cost is to the company. This That's is fascinating. When I found them have that appreciation. Yeah, this is fascinating though. And, and you would have had no way to know this, but I, I was working on a presentation that I'm giving uh, in Vegas in November where hopefully Miles and I will be able to meet up for an old fashioned. And, uh, uh, and this is such a timely topic. It's so good. Uh, just high level, like total comp, absolutely the conversation. It's important. It matters. Um, to a certain segment of the working population. And, but for another segment of the population, especially as the demographic skews younger, they're not thinking about insurance. They're not thinking about total comp. They're not thinking about a 401k. They should be, but they're not. So how do you, as you know, and, and you know, from your experience at Focus, right? Just in, in all the places you've been, how do you navigate that tricky landscape of, pay me what I'm worth and I want great, I want great benefits. But if I have to give up on something, I'd rather give a little bit on the benefit side and get a little bit more on the cash compensation side. Does that make sense? Like, like how do you navigate that as a, as a compensation professional? That that's a really good question. Cause a lot of companies have tried to make it easy to give the employees choice and basing that choice on where they are in their life. So some employees who are younger in their 20s or 30s, as you said, may not have health issues yet, but they're looking for a plan that just covers them in the case of an emergency. They don't want a lot of money coming out of their paychecks. Um, they just want to pay for the services. So you have those mm. plans that are built for those situations, and then you have your plans, which are built for people who are regular utilizers of benefits, and they go and use the services on a regular basis. And they're actually looking for lower cost on their deductibles and on their services. And they're willing to pay for a better quality of benefit through their pay paycheck deductions. Yeah. Um, I think employers have done a fairly good job in the last five or six years offering their different generations of employees choice when it comes to healthcare by offering different kinds of medical plans in order to cater to their employees of where they are at that point in their life. Um, having a daughter who just turned 26 who had to get her own benefits was an eye-opening experience for her, but she did not realize the cost of benefits mm. and the value of benefits until that COBRA letter came in the mail. Once mm. that COBRA letter came in the mail showing you know, yeah. what benefits really costed, that was her eye-opening as far as I know benefits costs for a single employee or any employer out there, maybe six to $800 a month, mm -hmm. you know, so benefits is really important as part of the total compensation equation. And it's not something that people her age take for granted anymore because of the transparency that is now involved with all the laws that we have. Take the compensation piece away for just a minute. And can you speak to how important 
company culture is just at a really high level how how important is that and how how does that attract top talent that you've seen in your experience culture is huge culture defines the entire organization and and I'm a big believer in what Drucker said which was culture each strategy for breakfast or lunch whatever meal you want to pick every day if you do not have strategies that work within the organization's culture, those strategies end up failing. And one of the things I've done in every single one of my stops, when I go into a company in the interview process, I've always explained the first hundred days or so, I'm going to meet with as many people as possible, have as many meetings as possible with all the employees in the organization at every level. Because what I want to do is I want to understand the culture of the company first and foremost before coming up with any HR strategies. Because I know if I design an HR strategy that does not fit the culture of that company, that HR strategy is basically going to be rejected and destroyed by the employees of the company because it's really the culture that drives everything in the company. It's the culture drives the success of the company. The culture drives the employee's motivation to serve the customer. And the culture also drives employees' overwhel overwhelming happiness and well-being within the company. So I'm going to back up just real quick for a second, because as I'm, as I'm thinking through compensation, um, you know, I've had some conversations with folks and benefits in if you're an entrepreneur right and you're trying to get started and maybe you've got one or two or three locations but money and and, and cash flow is still tight right and and or, or you're in a franchise organization that maybe doesn't have that the the same mindset so maybe your compensation package isn't as attractive as other organizations um, are there things that someone could do? Because if you know if you're going up against a same salary or maybe even a couple thousand dollars more, depending on who you're interviewing and, like you said, what part of their cycle they're in, different things are attractive. And if you're going up against somebody that's maybe got a better uh, benefits package, are there things? Are there? And this is probably uh, uh, the answer is no question. But are there things, tricks? What can those little guys do maybe to 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 combat that and, and attract that top talent? Because people are evaluating, like you said, a lot more thoroughly than they used to. And they're looking at everything. And the questions about that are deeper. Is there anything, is there, is there a silver bullet or anything people can, can think about doing? Well, I've been in some smaller companies that have faced that same issue. Miles. And, and one of the things I found that the smaller companies can offer that some of the larger companies can't is opportunity. And opportunity and experience opens doors down the line. And that's where you're going to get into the higher compensation and into having jobs which are really more reflective of the duties that you're doing. So sometimes mm -hmm. being in a smaller organization is more beneficial to employees because they're exposed to a larger set of skills that they would not get in a larger company because larger companies tend to have a lot of jobs that specialize in just doing a niche thing or a few things because they have such a large volume of it. Where in a smaller yeah. company, 
you can be wearing many different hats, which gives you experience in many different areas. And that's actually applied to me in my career in HR from the standpoint. I started in compensation. I was taken under the wing by a CFO who basically said, I'll teach you everything I know about benefits if you take benefits off my plate. So I was able to learn the financial aspects of benefits from a CFO and combine that with what I learned in graduate school to get into the benefits world. I then got into the generalist world from a recruiting perspective by being in a small company where my very first day in the company, the recruiter gave their two weeks notice and me being young and naive and willing to prove myself said, I'll volunteer to take recruiting. We even though I had no experience. And once I started doing recruiting, I started exposing myself to other people in the organization at the management level by working on their jobs with them to get them filled. Then that led to employee relations. But what I didn't realize at the time was getting that exposure to all the different areas of HR at a smaller company really built me for the role I'm in today as a CHRO of managing all the different functions of HR and having experience in all the different functions of HR. So total rewards from the cash basis is not everything at first. Sometimes there's a value on opportunity that you just can't put a, mo a monetary amount on at a time. But in the long run, if you're willing to exchange opportunity for cash, you will get that payoff one day. This is such a well, great segue. Well, I'm hearing... Oh, no, I'm sorry, Miles. Go ahead. So what I'm hearing you say for those small business owners and, and folks in small franchisees out there is, is don't overpromise because that can take you down a, a slippery slope as well. But really understand where you're different and and try to accentuate that or shine lights on that so people could because they people may just see what they've always seen. So talk about where you're different and and maybe that's where some folks will get the interest and and uh, you'll be able to separate yourself. Yeah, one yeah. of the examples I've always given to people about how to look at their careers, especially in a smaller company, is look at it as the $20,000 or $100,000 pyramid game, where sometimes you have to move across levels in order to move up in your career. And that's where I've been able to sell people on coming into smaller organizations that I'm not going to be able to provide you the highest salary or maybe the best benefits. But what I can provide you that you're not going to get from a larger organization is the opportunity to learn many things here, mm. which will make you more valuable to move up in your career to that next level. So being a compensation manager, then taking on benefits, then maybe taking on recruiting to get you to that director level. When you're in a director taking on, let's say, organizational development to get you to that VP level, et cetera. Absolutely. You know, it's such a great conversation. And it takes me to one of the questions that I sent you earlier ahead of the podcast. And because you've got such a unique experience and such a unique background in the industry and have held so many different types of roles you know, everything from a generalist to director of compensation to a CHRO. Uh, what do you know now, like at this point in your career, that you wish you would have known 
at the beginning of your career, which I know is not possible, but if, but if there's one thing you would pick that you wished you knew in the beginning, how would that have changed your journey forward? That's kind of an easy question for me, just in my personal opinion and in my background. I think the number one thing is patience hmm. and having the patience to basically get the experience because they teach us a lot of things in school that don't necessarily apply for the job or really fit what the jobs are today. What we learn in school is completely different than what we do on the job. Yep. And one of the things I think I learned at a, a young age was that I thought I could move through the HR world by moving on to different areas, probably before I was ready for them mm -hmm. and learning on the job. However, the one thing I think if I was to go back to my 25-year-old self today, I would tell that person who was 25 to have a, a bit more patience. Um, sometimes you have to go through a period of learning for two, three, maybe four years before you really have a true understanding of that job and can apply that to the next level of the role you're going to have at your current company or maybe even another company. So I think patience is definitely the one thing that I would tell my 25 year old self. Love it. What's your go-to order when you go, when you're home, all right. And you're, and I know you're on the road a lot. You're always traveling, but when you're home, what is your go-to order at uh, your favorite hometown restaurant? Um. Well, that's a little bit difficult to answer because so that's a harder question than that's a harder question than what you would tell your twenty-five-year-old self, which is so funny. I love that. It really is. I love that. Um, that that's a hard question from the standpoint. My wife is a great cook. Oh, but now, okay, all right. Now that we're empty nesters, there really is not a lot of cooking going on, and because my <laughs> wife is is such a great cook, and coming from a large Italian-American family, and she sure. had an even larger Italian-American family that she came out of, um, our standards are pretty high for the food that we eat. So for us now, it's completely changed where my go-to growing up in an Italian household every day used to be pasta. But living here in the South, there's very few restaurants that can live up to the standards uh, that zero I chance. was zero chance they could do that. Zero yep. chance. Exactly. Exactly. And, and growing up in New York as well, there's just zero chance that you're going to find <laughs> um, the same foods that you found in the Northeast, which are very ethnic based here in the South. But you know, I live in Atlanta, which is the New York of the South. And one of the things I think uh, everyone in the South prides themselves on is barbecue, mm. um, which isn't the best food for us, but it really tastes good. So one of the things um, I always go to when I go to a new barbecue uh, restaurant to try, and my wife and I like to try different barbecue restaurants, is the macaroni and cheese. Because to me, if you're in the barbecue business, if you can't make good macaroni and cheese, the other stuff is, isn't going to be that good behind it. It's true. It's so true. You know, you live in Atlanta. One of my favorite chefs is in Atlanta, uh, Kevin Gillespie. Uh, he actually has a restaurant called Gun Show Atlanta. Uh, and I can't remember what part of town it's in, but I would I would highly recommend that if you have if you if you've not been to Gun Show, you should try it out. Um, it's a it's a 
It's a great, great restaurant. He, I'm trying to remember how I got connected with him, but he's really fantastic. He's a chef. He's a red, uh, uh, he's got the red beard. That's kind of his trademark. He's written two amazing books, uh, you know, that, that, that are really good. So um, he was on Top Chef um, as well years ago, back in season six. So if you haven't tried that out, you should do it. He, he uh, uh, won a James Beard Award, uh, which is incredible. So, um, and, and he is like, you know, in the South, I mean, the food is good. The food is great. <laughs> so you should definitely try that out. It, it, the, in the South, the food is great, but it's also about the environment and the hospitality. No question. I have a list on my phone, which I keep, which I probably have about 30 restaurants that I have listed on my phone that I've wanted to go to, but just haven't had the opportunity. And you coming out of the restaurant world as well, um, you have that a greater appreciation of how hard it is to work in the restaurant industry. My, oh my very gosh. first job as a teenager was in the restaurant industry yeah. at a ice cream company called Friendly's in the Northeast. Oh, sure. So, sure, I know um, so cutting my teeth in the restaurant industry um, and really seeing it behind the scenes and the amount of hard work that goes into it behind the scenes was something that's always stuck with me, you know, right through to this day. Um, but yeah, living here in Atlanta, there are so many different great restaurants, especially in the city. Mm um that people have to go to the try um totally. and i'll put atlanta's barbecue up against texas and north carolina and kansas what about kansas city? city oh come on yeah come on i know this conversation i know, I know we're not good. the barbecue capital of the u.s but this... atlanta's the one place oh. i've been to where it kind of blends all the different barbecues together versus specializing in one and this conversation was going so well no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding uh so as we get ready to close this out, I want to revisit a comment you made about halfway through, because I'd love to just unpack that a little bit more. You mentioned that during one of your, at one point in your career, you were working for someone who's the best mentor that you've ever had. And I'm curious more about that. And, and I'm assuming this person probably had the biggest impact on your leadership. And so what I'd like to know is why, what made that person so important to you and why did they have such a huge impact in your career? That's a really easy question for me. I was fortunate enough to have three really good mentors in my career. Uh, the person that took me under their wing to start my HR career, uh, the person who basically would sit me down and explain why things got done at a higher level in the organization. And also the person at Focus Brands who gave me opportunities to expand myself beyond my boundaries and get into other areas of HR. And I can easily say the one most important thing I learned, which applies to my role as a CHRO today, is that it's important to get everyone's opinion around the table. But at the end of the day, the person in charge has to make that decision based off of the information that's given to them. And they're the ones that have to live with that decision, take responsibility and accountability for that decision, even if some people at the table do not like it. As a leader, it's your role, especially as a head of HR, to make decisions that are in 
the best interests of both the organization and the employees. And that's one of the things I learned from this leader who actually ended up going on to be a CEO um, and doing very well as a CEO at another retail company. So Amazing. that's the biggest lesson I learned um, from one of my mentors was at the end of the day, you have to make that decision, but seek out all the information that you can to make an educated decision. Amazing. I love that. And Michael, if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to reach out, they want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. The best way is probably on LinkedIn. Um, Michael Morello on LinkedIn. I am based out of Atlanta. Uh, there's probably several Michael Morellos on there, but I think I am the only one in HR in Atlanta that I know of. And you'll be able to see my past career stops in the retail world uh, and restaurant world at Focus Brands and Tommy Hilfiger and Polo Ralph Lauren. So that's probably the best way to reach me. Amazing. I can't wait to get to Atlanta. We're going to have to go to dinner. I mean, this is going to be so great. Um, I'll let you know when I'm out that way for sure. Yeah, I have a few on my checklist, Bobby, and we'll have to get through it. And I know you pass through Austin pretty often. So the next time I'm in Austin, hopefully our paths will cross as well. And we can maybe meet up out there. Would love to. I have family there. My kids are there. The majority of my kids are there. I have one older son who's in the business and uh, he's he, he's actually in Kansas City. But uh, the rest of my kids are in Austin. They're all they're all adults now. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, we can't thank you enough for you taking some of your valuable time out on the podcast. This was incredibly helpful. We covered so many great topics. And and I know that as people listen to the podcast, they're going to be able to pick something out of there and go, I hadn't thought of that quite that way before. So really grateful. Thank you so much for making the time. Well, I enjoyed it very much. Thank you very much for your time as well. I enjoy listening to the podcast and hearing all the great guests that you've had on in the past. And their unique experiences. I think one of the things I've learned from your podcast, which I also apply to the business world, is a lot of us get into situations which is not as unique as we may think. And a lot of professionals face the same crises or problems yeah. or issues within the organizations that have to be dealt with. And your podcast has been a great resource on giving me different perspectives of how, to, how to think about situations that I may be dealing with in the workplace in my role today. That's awesome. Thank you for saying that. That's, that's absolutely our goal. That's absolutely our goal is to try to add value wherever we can. So amazing. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you, Bobby. Thanks so much for joining us on the Cutting Edge podcast today and this amazing conversation with Chief Human Resources Officer Michael Morello. We hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did, and we look forward to continuing that conversation with Michael on future episodes. Thanks again for joining us on the Cutting Edge podcast. Please share the word with your friends. If you're finding this content helpful and inspirational, we would love to grow the listenership that we have on the podcast, and we're grateful for every single one of you who are listening. And we look forward to continuing to reach more people. Thanks so much. We'll see you back soon on another episode of the Cutting Edge Podcast.